Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. When you're born and you grow up, for a really long time, everything your family does is just normal. That's just the way it is. But at some point in time, you bring a friend over, or some of you are going to either, you just experience this with Thanksgiving, or you're getting ready to experience it with Christmas, where you bring that special someone to see your family and spend the holidays. And all of a sudden, you start looking at your family through a completely different lens. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, this isn't normal. This just isn't the way that everyone else does it. But because you've spent so much time growing up with these people, and it's been that way since you were born, you just always kind of got used to it. Like, so for example, um, I remember the first time I met my wife's side of the family. And I got introduced to a relative, which I won't name the specific one in case they ever watch this video. But she's crazy. And she has these ideas like, and I'm not, I am not joking when I say this. I, I've heard her say, oh, your stomach's feeling upset, you don't feel good? If you eat some ho-hos, those are good for you because when they get down in your stomach, they will absorb the acid and the bad stuff and flush it out of your system. And she's serious. She thinks ho-hos, those little cakes that you can get at the gas station, which like, are not biodegradable in and of themselves, like that's her form of medicine. Or I remember when, she came, when my wife came over to my side of the family and I had to warn her about a relative who tells jokes that last for 10 minutes and then aren't funny. And they're like, like was there a punchline there? And I had to tell her about like a relative who's like going to be overly enthusiastic and laugh a lot and also overly enthusiastic and cry a lot. And that's just the way it goes. You guys, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've got someone in your mind right now. You're like, oh, yeah, there's that person in my family. And that's just not normal. But you didn't really realize it until you had to look at this, your family story through somebody else's eyes. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want us to actually think about the Christmas story. Because when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We've all grown up with it, though, and it's just kind of become normal. And here's what I mean when I say it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If I were to ask you, how would you introduce the Savior of the world? Like, what, what should be the story surrounding the birth of the King of the universe? Imagine someone who knows nothing about God, Jesus, or something like that, and you're talking to them, and they're like, hey, so this Jesus guy that you say is like the King of the universe, like... What's his story? And you're like, oh, well, like 2,000 years ago, there was this woman who was like a teenage girl, and she was a virgin, but somehow she got pregnant, and there was this guy named Joseph who wasn't the dad, but he was the dad, but they were really poor, and then like there was some like tax stuff that had to happen, and they went up to this place called Bethlehem, and then they had birth in like a, a horse barn or something, I think, like a stable, and then some like shepherds came, and then some like magic men from a different country came, and that's how the Savior of the world was born. They'd like be like, what? 
like, hold on, rewind. Say that again. Like, what are you talking about? Because when you think about it, that's not how kings are born. That's not how superhero stories get started, okay? Like, there was no lightning from the sky, and there was no great battle. And when you begin to think about it, you think, okay, wait a second. Well, how, what does happen when a king is born? Now, unfortunately, in the United States, we don't have kings. So I had to think, okay, well, last time a king was born or a, a prince was born or something like that, what happened? So I looked over to England because they still do that. And I was like, okay, wait a second. Five or six years ago or however long it was when Prince George was born. You remember how the whole world lost its mind when Prince George was born because this was the heir to the throne? Do you know what they did in Niagara Falls? This is what they did. They lit it all up blue. Niagara Falls isn't even in England. It was like Canada, and it belonged to like England long ago. And they're like, hey, we're going to announce to the whole world that a king has been born, that an heir to the throne has been born, and we're going to light this place up blue. This is what they did to London Bridge, the same thing. We're going to light it up blue. Go, oh, yeah, throw it on the screen. Thank you. And it's like, this is what happens when royalty is born. There was official pronouncements. There was a guest list that you had to be on to eventually go and meet the family. You know, they, there was all these royal decrees. That's what you do when a king is born. So what on earth is God doing in this story? We read it every year and we're like, yeah, sure, seems normal to me. But when you really think about it, who would do that to their son? Like if, this is, if you're God and you're like, I'm sending my son Jesus to be born and to save the world, who would put their child in the conditions that Jesus was born in? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, let's just think about it. Let's take a look at some of the characters involved in this story. Let's take a look at Mary. Let's hear Mary's story for a little bit. Uh, this is going to be in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The Lord went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. From our best guesses and estimates, Mary, we think Mary was about 15 years old. Why would you pick an unwed teenage mother to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Not only that, why would you pick a Jewish teenage unwed mother who's living in a Roman-occupied world? There's probably not a more overlooked or unsafe person to make the mother of the Savior of the world. What is, he, what is God doing here? Like, why choose Mary? But then let's look at the dad. The dad's not much better. Let's look at his story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Okay, so in case that didn't make any sense to you, basically the government said, hey, everyone has to go back to their hometown, their place of birth, 
and register and then be taxed. So he has to go. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Why would you pick a dad that can't even afford a home? Like, we're not saying that he couldn't afford the Four Seasons. Okay, we get that. It's, it's everyone's in town. Four Seasons is a little expensive. He couldn't afford Motel 6. He couldn't afford, like, Comfort Inn. He couldn't afford Holiday Inn. Why would you pick this to be the man who is going to raise your son, the Savior of the world? This is not how kings are born. Secondly, she's giving birth in a manger. And then who comes to see her and help take care of her? Shepherds. Let's look at their part in this story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the scene that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Mary has just given birth. I'm sure she's just super anxious to see a bunch of shepherds come running in who are also equally dirty, have not washed their hands, have not sanitized, and then, hey, we're here, Mary. We've heard a really cool thing here has happened. We're here to hang out and help you out, I guess. I don't know. But, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, why would you make shepherds the first guests, the first people that get to see the Savior of the world? And then in any good traditional Christmas holiday scene, there's also the Magi, the wise men. And this is what their story says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that had, they had seen when it rose ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the next group of people don't even know Mary and Joseph. They show up unannounced. They're like, hey, we, uh, we're from a different country, and we don't actually believe the same things you believe. In fact, we actually worship the stars, and it's pretty cool that your son's a Capricorn, and we're like here because we think some magical things are going to happen, and we've got some gifts for you. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph were grateful for the gifts, but once again, what is God doing? Like, this does not make any sense, and it, it's like God just threw some randos together and said, here, here's the story. This story doesn't make sense if you're talking about the birth of a king. It doesn't make sense if you're talking about the Savior of the world. 
And it only starts to make sense when you understand that Jesus was revealed to be something more than just a traditional king. See, this whole month of December, we're talking about Jesus revealed, and we're going to talk about different names he was given, different things that were revealed in Jesus. And I want to point us back to one because the story only begins to make sense when we look at a prophecy and we look at a title that was given to Jesus some 700 years before he was even born. And it's in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah says, hey, guys, this is going to be a sign for you guys. This is what you're going to want to look out for because when this happens, it means the Savior of the world is here. And he said in Isaiah 7, 14, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And this is where it gets important. And we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus came, he came as a God with us. Yes, that means he was physically present. He existed in this time and space. But God with us means so much more. Let's talk about this again. Let's go back through our list of characters. What does Emmanuel mean? And what does it mean for people like Mary? Mary, an unwed teenage mother who was Jewish in Roman-occupied world. She gets to be the very first person that knows about the arrival of Jesus. Not a priest, not a king, not a government official, a young teenage girl. Apparently, God thinks women are important enough to make them the very first person to know about the Savior of the world. Interestingly enough, the very first person to know about the birth of the Savior was a woman named Mary. The very first person to know about the resurrection was also a woman, also named Mary, but different Mary. But apparently, God thinks women have a role to play in this story. And so when we say God with us, when we say Jesus is with us, we're saying that Jesus is with the overlooked. And in that time and place, and if you're taking notes, this is in your notes, Jesus is with the overlooked. The people that everyone else has said, no, 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 you're never going to amount to anything because of blank, because of your age, because of where you come from, because of your gender, because of this, because of that. Jesus is saying, those who have always been overlooked get to have a role and get to play a part in my life story. In a world where Mary was born into, women were a little bit more than property, a little bit better than animals is the way they were treated. And now, outside of Jesus, is there a name that's more widely known than Mary? I mean, close to one billion people mention her every time they pray. And so Mary, who was always overlooked and whose society would say that's her role to be overlooked, gets to be included in the story. And let's talk about Joseph. Joseph, who had to go back to Bethlehem and could not afford a room. But that's not all there is to the story. See, we said that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because that's where his family was from and he had to go and register. Well, guess who else had to go to Bethlehem to register? Joseph's brothers, Joseph's uncles, Joseph's father, if his father was still alive, his whole family had to go to Bethlehem to register. 
And so when we read that there was no room for Joseph, we're not reading a story of, oh, wow, all the rooms are full. We're reading a story of, nah, bro, I, I get that you're doing this whole, like, that's your girl and it's somebody else's baby and you're still going to make it work, but I don't want that in my house. Like, I got kids. What kind of example is that? I don't want to have to explain that weird story. When Joseph can't find a room, it's because his family has told him, we don't want you here. Joseph is going to a manger because his family has said, no, I don't need you. But God says, I am with the rejected. And so some people have been like told for their whole life, you don't belong. You don't matter. Matt cried last week, so I'm not going to do it this week. Uh, you don't belong here. And God is saying, oh, no, 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 no. no. You belong in my story. You have a part to play. And those shepherds, the first ones to get the news about Jesus, well, in, those, in that day and time, Shepherds were considered the lowest occupation you could actually have. Like, you became a shepherd when you could not hold down any other job. You became a shepherd when you got fired from everything else. Shepherds were so despised that their testimony was not allowed in court cases. You can't trust a shepherd. Shepherds will say anything. So a shepherd was not allowed to actually testify in court, and yet God says... You guys get to be the first people to know. You get to go tell the world the story. Yeah, I know they're not going to believe you. I don't care. My goal is not for them to believe you. My goal is to include you in this story. God is with the outcast. Jesus is with the outcast. And what about those, those magi, those wise men from a different country? You've got to remember, Jesus was a Jewish savior. This was the story of Israel and their king. Why is he including people from a foreign country who have a different belief system and don't worship the same way or anything else? Because God is with the other. Whatever that looks like. God is not a God of just certain people. God is a God for everyone. And I don't know what other is to you, but we all have somebody that we think of as the other. They don't belong in the same classroom as us. They don't belong in the same job as us. They're a different socioeconomic status. There's something about them, and we're just like, they are other. And what God is saying is they are part of the story too. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, there's only two real takeaways from a day like today. The first one is pretty simple, and that's each of us have a part in God's story. You have a place in God's story. No matter what anyone else has told you, no matter what anyone else has said, no matter what you have told yourself for years, God wants you to be a part of his story. Jesus came to make everyone have a space and a place in his story. We're all included. And so if for the whole of your life you have been taught or you have believed something else, know that today you belong. 
You belong here. You belong now. You've always belonged. You might not have known it, and you always will belong. That is the story, and that is the reason why we celebrate the name of Jesus, because he made a place for each of us. And so if today is the first day you're ever hearing this, let me just tell you, all you've got to do is accept the invitation, and you belong. Now, we could all leave, and we could all filter out the doors, and we could all be like, oh, that's awesome, I belong, and that's absolutely true. But for a large percentage of this room, there's another thing that we need to remember, and that is that we are the church, and the church is the body of Christ. We are Christ's representatives. We are Jesus' representatives in this world, which means we don't only receive, we give. And the second thing that some of us need to walk away from, and that we just need to ask ourselves this question, who are you including in your story? Because it's one thing to say, hey, yes, I love being included. It's another thing to go out and work on including others. But that is the goal and the purpose of the church. There is no one else who has been given this task. Other people try. God bless them. That's great. But the sole responsibility for including everyone in the world in the story of God is the churches. And by the churches, I mean us. There is not, if you follow Jesus, you are the church. There's not part of the church that gets to go and do this and the other part that's like, well, I'll cheer them on. No, this is us. This is what we do. I wish I could give you a direct application of how we could maybe do that this Christmas season. Maybe some people who've been overlooked or in great need. If only Matt had just interviewed someone on stage and we could be like, oh, no. I mean, obviously I'm being sarcastic. We have a direct and tangible A to B connection here. And so my encouragement is, yes, all of us give generously, but don't just give generously. Live this out. Because no matter what environment you're in, there is someone who is overlooked. There is someone who's been outcast. There is someone who's been rejected. There is someone who is other. And it is our responsibility, empowered by the Holy Spirit, sent in the name of Jesus, to share God's love with them. That's who Jesus revealed himself to be. That is our mission. That is what we are going to do this holiday season. I don't think I need to say much more today because we've had church today. We have seen it. We have talked about it. We have sung it. And so what I want to just simply do now is pray over you, and then let's just go do it. Sound good to you guys? All right, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you came to show us that all of us were included. A typical king would have had only the most important people at that time. And their names would have already been forgotten. But you came and took people who no one would have known their name and now we remember them for all time. And so Lord, I pray that you would work through us the same way you worked back then. Lord, help us to extend love, help us to extend mercy, help us to extend grace, help us to include people in our story. Lord, I pray that we would be crazy generous this holiday season. And I pray that we would not only be generous with our finances, but we would be generous with our time. We would go and take the risky, bold move to talk to people that no one else will, because Lord, you took the risky, bold move to leave heaven, to come to earth, and we just simply follow in your path. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
All right. Uh, like you guys said, guys heard, we've got this open until December the 31st to give. If this is your first time here and you filled out a Connect card, drop it off at our info center. We have a gift for you. Otherwise, we will see you next Sunday. Love you guys. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.